Well, I want you to open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Psalm, Psalm uh, Psalm 84. Psalm 84, and I want to read just uh, two verses for our consideration. Psalm 84, verse 5, and verse number 6. Psalm 84, verse 5, and verse number 6. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well, the rain also filleth the pools. Now let me read that last verse again for you. Who passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well, the rain also filleth the pools. If you have a Bible with a marginal reading, you'll notice that most translators render that word Baca weeping or sorrow. And it actually is probably not a general valley somewhere, but it's a generic word that denotes any time of trouble or sorrow. So what he is literally saying is, blessed is the person who goes through some time of weeping or trouble and makes it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. Philip Brooks, the famous New England preacher, once said to his congregation, in every pew there sits a person with a broken heart. After having been in the ministry for over 50 years, I believe Philip Brooks was exactly right. In every pew, there does sit a person with a broken heart. Those broken hearts come in assorted sizes and odd shapes. They have a thousand different faces. Sometimes they arrive with dramatic flair as some unexpected tragedy overtakes you without warning. Or other times they come like the cool breeze of morning on the gentle wings of surprise. As a phone call says, it's cancer. Or as a loved one looks you in the face and says, I no longer want to be with you. I'm leaving. Or as you lose a job, have a child in jail, a person in trouble. Troubles come in assorted sizes and odd shapes, but the truth of the matter is, they do come, don't they? I've learned that troubles are unavoidable. There's no way you can get around troubles and heartaches and sorrows. Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And ladies and gentlemen, unless you can figure out a way to get into the world without being born of a woman, you're going to have troubles. Troubles come to every single person. They're unavoidable. The second thing I've learned about them is that they're unselective. Now listen very carefully. I want you to hear this closely. One of the fallacies that's been perpetrated on the body of Christ today is the erroneous idea that if you love God, read your Bible, and pray, good things will happen to good folks and bad things will happen to bad folks. That if you're a child of God, you won't ever have any problems. If you're walking in God's grace, it'll always be gee whiz and hallelujah. But the truth of the matter is, that's not the truth of the matter. Ladies and gentlemen, the the saints of God suffer just like everybody else suffers. I heard about a young preacher pastor that started his ministry out. He said, God, I want you to give me two things in my ministry. I want you to give me a pretty wife and a big church. 
He came down to the end of his ministry and looked back. He said, God almost blessed him that way. He gave him a big wife and a pretty church. <laughs> well, no, that's terrible, isn't it? Brother Fred, that cut my love offering in half right there. There won't be a woman in here give a dime to that offering. But troubles come to the good, the bad, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the young, the old. They come to everybody. The third thing I've learned about troubles is that they're generally unexplainable. They don't make sense. You know, sometimes you'll meet those people that have the erroneous idea that they understand everything. You ever meet people like that? I mean, they, they always write. They always know what's right. I heard about this old woman who'd been a, a single woman all of her life, and she finally got married, and one of her friends saw her several weeks later and said, uh, Well, Mary, how are you doing since you married? She said, Not good. She said, Well, I understand you found Mr. Wright. She said, Well, I did marry Mr. Wright, but the only thing is I didn't know his first name was always. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, we don't always understand, do we? Paul says that his ways are past finding out. So we're going to have troubles. They're going to come to everybody, and we may not understand why when they can. Now, with that as a little brief introduction, I want to draw three conclusions for us today that I hope might encourage you just a little bit. If you're in trouble, if you're going through a difficult hour, I hope these little simple insights might help you somewhat. Number one, when we're in trouble, we need to remember that trouble is always tempered by time. Now let me say it to you again. Trouble is always tempered by time. Did you notice what the psalmist said? He specifically tells us that he is not in a valley, but he is passing through a valley. Now, he was specific in telling us that. He didn't say, blessed is the man that's in the valley. He said, blessed is the man who is passing through the valley. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you today that trouble may be on you right now, but the trouble is temporal and the passing through will come. That's why the psalmist says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Hallelujah to God. You're not going to be in trouble all your life. A guy told me the other day, Brother Fred, he said, well, Brother Junior, I've been in trouble all my life. I said, but sir, your life's not over yet. Man, trouble's always tempered by time. Boy, I thank God when you know your destination, you're not as troubled about your tribulation. I think one of the things that's happened to us is that we've forgotten that we're people passing through this world. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not here for the duration. You guys are storing up all that money. You know what you're going to do? You're going to die. And your wife's going to marry some old carnal man. He's going to spend every dime you got laid out. <laughs> He's going to drive your pickup truck, sleep on your side of the bed. You're passing through. We're pilgrims in this world, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get too bogged down in this world. You're not going to be here forever. We're passing through this world. I was in a motel several months ago. I stay in fancy places, something like the Taco Bell number nine or something like that. <laughs> and Brother Fred, you stated some of those, I guess. But 
I was uh, in this little bitty grungy motel, and when I woke up the next morning and opened my eyes and looked up in the ceiling, there's a great big old roach bug crawling right across the top of the ceiling. And as I lay there looking at that roach bug, I thought, I wonder where he's been all night. (laughs) And I lifted my arm to see if there might be one under my arm. And I got up to go over and sit down in the chair. And when I did, somebody dropped a cigarette and burned a hole right in the chair. And I thought, man, I've hit the big time. I'm in a roach-infested room with a hole burned in the chair. But you know what I didn't do? I did not call the exterminator and say, would you come over here and spray for bugs? I didn't call the upholstery man and say, would you come over here and repair this chair? I didn't call anybody. You know why? Because I was just passing through. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to waste my time hugging trees and praying over snail darters and discussing melting icebergs. I'm trying to get men and women, boys and girls, ready to meet Jesus and to go to heaven when they die. We're passing through. We're pilgrims passing through. Oh, dear friend, we used to sing those old songs, Brother Ed, in the sweet by and by, when we all get to heaven, what a day that will be, some golden daybreak. Our messages have changed to the here and now, and we're worried about a thousand things in this world. We better get ready to pass through, because it won't be long till we'll be on the other side. Troubles always tempered by time. But let me show you a second thing. When you get in trouble, you need to remember this, that processes must never be mistaken for purposes. Now let me say that to you again. Now listen very carefully. Processes must never be mistaken for purposes. You see, a process is what gets you to the purpose. And quite often the reason we don't understand what God is doing is because we don't understand the difference between a process and a purpose. Now let me show you three interesting little things about processes. Number one, processes are unseen. You don't see processes very good. You know, Brother Fred, uh, most of us as Christians have 20-20 vision in two directions. We have 20-20 visions backward. We see what God has done. And there is not a person in this building today that, but you could look back and say, boy, I saw God work in my life back there in the past. You could recount incident after incident of what God has done for you in the past. Your vision is 2020 looking backwards. And really, your vision is about 2020 looking forward. Now, while the Bible tells us that eye hath not seen nor ear heard the things that God has in store for us, through the eyes of faith, we have good vision because we know what God has prepared for us, don't we? The Bible says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. So that means that we look with the eyes of faith the things we can't see, and we believe them with clarity because God promised them to us. 2020 vision seeing what God did. 2020 vision seeing what God is going to do. But in the middle of those, 
We don't have too good a vision seeing what God is doing. You see, we don't understand what God is doing. Why? Because the process so often is misunderstood for the purpose and we don't understand it because we think it's the purpose when it may be the process. It's unseen. I never cease to be amazed at that. I was in a church up in Chattanooga some time ago and uh, I got up to preach that night and I noticed that there was a lady sitting out in the audience. And she was so attentive, but she was so unhappy looking, just really sad looking. She just uh, looked like uh, she didn't want to be there. And I, I just caught her, got the idea she didn't like me. I don't know why. Just, uh, you know, I just thought, well, she don't like me. And uh, I preached and I, I'd find myself looking at her. And I'd think, Lord, that's a mean looking woman. Now, I know you ladies aren't going to believe me when I tell you this, but uh, she actually looked meaner than several of you ladies here today do. Now, she really <laughs> And Brother Fred, I just found myself looking at her. And I, I just thought, boy, that's a mean looking woman. And she came every night, and I just sat there imagining all things about her. I said, but I bet she's a member of the mafia. <laughs> Lord, what a mean looking woman. If I had a wife like that, my weight problem would be solved immediately. I'd never eat another bite as long as I live. The last night of the meeting, the pastor said, I want Brother Junior to stand down here at the front. I want you to come shake hands and tell him you're going to be praying for him. You know how they do, Brother Fred, that last night. And I stand down and listen to all those lies they tell you on that last night. <laughs> I'm going to be praying for you, Brother Brown. Well, thank you so much, but my name is Hill, but thank you so much. God bless you. And I was enjoying it so much till I looked in the back of the line and there stood that angry woman in the back of the line. And it just took all the joy out of everything everybody's saying. And finally when everybody left but me and this woman, she walked up to me and took me by the hand. And I felt those reverse gears in my legs grind into place. But it didn't happen like I thought it was going to happen. Big tears welted in her eyes, began to roll down her cheeks and drop off on the front of her dress. And with a little trembling voice, she said, Oh, Brother Junior, I can't tell you how your messages have blessed me this week. She said, Two weeks ago, I buried the best husband any woman could ever have. And I've been so lonely and I've been so sad. And I said, I can't go to church tonight, but I've come every night, preacher. And I had to come down here and tell you how much your message has blessed my heart. And I thought, oh God, I've judged a woman on processes without understanding the purpose. My dear friend, listen to me. Don't get bound down in the process because you may not see what God is doing in your life. That what you thought was bad may ultimately turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. You may find that the process was not seen, but it was for your good and for His glory. But now let me show you a second thing. Now listen carefully. Not only are processes unseen, but they're unhurried. 
you can't speed them up. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when we get in a process, we get in a hurry and we want it to end? Sometimes we think, God, hurry, hurry, hurry. I want you to come now, now, now. Hurry, hurry, hurry. But we need to remember that the Word of God said, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. And God is in no hurry. You can't hurry up the processes of God, can you, friend? How many of you precious little ladies that are mothers here and you born children? I want to ask you a question. Be honest with me. How many of you little precious mothers have had babies and you'd stand up today and say, Brother Junior, if it was up to me, my prayer would be that that pregnancy could have been 18 months rather than nine. How many of you ever prayed that prayer? God, slow down. The baby's coming too quick. But I would imagine that there are hundreds of women all over this city that have said, God, could you hurry it up just a little bit? I'm tired of morning sickness. I'm tired of feeling bad. I'm tired of, hurry up, hurry, hurry, hurry. But ladies and gentlemen, you cannot hurry the processes of God. Processes cannot be speeded up. You have to let God do what He's doing at His own pace. I had that illustrated to me several years ago in an unusual way. My neighbor who lived beside us gave my wife a big old flowering plant. Uh, That's sort of a misnomer. It wasn't much of a flowering plant. It's just a big old plant. But it was ugly. Uh, I mean, it had old long gangly limbs that hung down like this. It, It was just an ugly plant. And I told Carol when I saw that old thing drooped over, hanging down like this, I said, Lord, that, Carol, that reminds me of a pastor coming home from a deacon's meeting. <laughs> it was ugly. And Carol said, Honey, uh, where do you want to put it in the house? I said, In the house? We're not going to put it in the house. That thing's ugly. Just put it down in the bottom of the woods somewhere. Nobody will see it. But like most married couples, we compromised. Put it down at the bottom of our lawn under a big tree. Carol loved it. She'd go out every morning, pinch off the dead growth, water it, turn it around to the sun. She just loved it. I hated that old thing. It was ugly. Right in my way when I'd mow the yard. And several times that summer when I'd ride by on my lawnmower, I'd have this unusual urge welling up in my heart. I came home one day from a meeting, and Carol was ecstatic. She said, honey, guess what? The plant bloomed. I said, well, good. Now, you know what I discovered about that plant? It blooms one time a year. And the intriguing thing is, it blooms one night one time a year. I think that's why I hated the thing so much. Imagine getting a flashlight every night of your life going out and looking for a blue. One night, one time, a year. Now, Brother Fred, what if I didn't know that? What if I didn't know that God had designed that old plant to bloom one time a year? 
You know what I'd do? I'd get mad at it. You old backslidden reprobate of a plant. Why don't you bloom? Bloom, 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 bloom. I'm going to take you to a blooming conference. I'm going to teach you how to bloom. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something. You can pray over that old plant and you can fast and you can give your tithe and you can go on mission trips and you can do all you know to do, but you can't make that flower bloom one minute until the season God put in it comes to pass. And brother, here's what I'm telling you now. Listen to me. All you can do when you get in a valley is just say, this is not the purpose of God. God don't want me to be in a valley. He wants me to do something better, but He's got me in the valley for the process and however long the process takes, help me be faithful till I get through the valley. They're unseen and they're unhurried. You can't speed them up. But now there's a third thing. And I guess this is probably the most difficult of all. Processes are unenjoyable. You don't like processes. Now we love purposes. Oh man, do we love purposes. But we don't like processes. See, we love where we eventually get, but we don't like the process that ultimately gets us there. And therein lies the difficulty of many Christians. Rather than rejoice in what God has planned for them, they get bogged down in indifference with the process and they lose sight of what God is doing. I have such a hard time telling this story because it's uh, such a personal thing to me. But I, I have one of the finest wives in the world. I'm sure every husband thinks that about his wife. You should think that. But, but Carol is probably the finest Christian I know. She's, a, she's just a, a sweet woman. And, and we've been married 53 years. And she's the light of my life and the joy of my life. But about 10 years ago, Carol developed a very severe heart problem. She had what the doctors call atrial fibrillation. Now that within itself is not a big deal. Many, many people have fibrillation. Uh, Probably many of you here today have that. It generally is not life-threatening. But Carol's fibrillation was not occasional, it was continual. Her heart just was out of rhythm and it just could never beat properly. And they gave her all kind of medicines and nothing helped. And finally one day, we went in to see the heart doctor and we were sitting there. He said, Miss Hill, we've decided that the only thing we can do for you to keep you from having this constant fibrillation which subjects you to the possibility of a stroke We're going to have to go in and take a laser and we're going to destroy all of those heart nodes that make your heart beat. And then we're going to hook you up to a pacemaker that will tell your heart when to beat. Now did you get what I'm saying? He didn't say I'm going to put a pacemaker in your heart that will help your heart beat. He didn't say that. He said, we're going to destroy the nodes that make your heart beat. And we're going to hook you up to a pacemaker that will tell your heart when to beat. And Carol cried. Honey, I'm going to be living on a battery. I'm living on a battery. 
I said, that's right, Carol. But just remember this. God holds the battery in his hands. We got ready for the surgery. I said, Carol, I'm going to cancel all my meetings. I'll be with you. I'll be right there with you. Oh, no. You told those preachers you'd come. Now you go on and preach all those meetings. Honey, I don't, I don't, I'm going to be there with you. I'll cancel those meetings. No. You preach those meetings. I didn't want to do that, Fred. But I knew that's what Carol wanted. She said, if you'll be with me the day I go in the hospital, and stay with me till I get out. That's all I want you to do. Now you go on to those meetings. And so I did. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the day before Carol's surgery, preaching at the New Mexico State Evangelism Conference. And I said to the director, could you let me preach early and I'll catch an early flight from Albuquerque to Atlanta. And then they've got a flight from Atlanta to Huntsville, and I'll be home tonight to be with Carol for her surgery. Everything went fine. I got on the plane, flew into the Atlanta area. I had uh, an hour to make the connecting flight. It was just perfect. But when we got into the Atlanta area, we began that inevitable process of circling the airport. You ever been to Atlanta? I think there's something dead in Atlanta. Those big old planes circle like buzzards around and around and around. I went around and around and around. And I got to looking at my watch and I said, Lord, if we don't land pretty soon, I'm not going to make that flight to Huntsville. God, please. God, please. I got to make that flight to Huntsville. We went around about two more times. Finally, the pilot came on. He said, folks, just to apprise you of the problem, we've been circling this airport so long, we're about to run out of gas. Oh, boy, that'll bless your heart, won't it? <laughs> Brother Fred, I did not cuss. Thank God I didn't cuss. But I came so close to it, I wrote it down on a piece of paper and signed my name to it. <laughs> I said, Lord, all I ask you, just let me get home. And I'm going to miss that flight to Huntsville. We ran about two more times, circled around. Finally, he came on and said, folks, just to update you a little bit on our problem. The tower has determined the crowded airport so bad we're not going to be able to land. So they are diverting us to Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> I said, hallelujah to God. God shut down the whole Delta network to get one fat preacher home on time. Did I enjoy that? Oh, no, I didn't enjoy a bit of it. The process almost did me in. But the wonderful part was that the purpose was so good. And the bottom line is, Carol's been alive for 10 days. Her heart's as regular as you could imagine, and she's doing wonderful. Unenjoyed.
Now, are you in a valley? You got something bothering you and you can't seem to get over it? Just remember this. It may be the process that's going to lead you to the purpose God has for you. I say this and we'll have our prayer. And this probably is the best thought of all in this psalmist's word. He says, blessed is the man who passing through the valley of back in the nose makes it a well. Now what in the world does that mean? Makes it a well. Well, let me give you what I believe is the explanation of that scripture. They tell us that in those eastern countries that the morning dew was often as heavy as a light rain. In those dry, arid, parched communities, it was so dry there was hardly any moisture. But in the early hours of the morning, when the dew would fall, it was like a little slight shower. And so here probably is what that verse seems to be saying. That this man going through that valley finds himself out there in a dry, parched, arid place with no water to drink. And that night when he gets ready to go to bed, he probably takes out of his pocket a knife, or maybe he with his own fingers. He just gets down on the ground and he sort of scratches out, or with his knife sort of digs out, a little hole in the ground. The Bible calls it a well. And, and he just digs it out and lays down and goes to sleep. And when he gets up in the morning and goes out there, that little hole that he's dug in the ground has been filled with the morning dew. And he refreshes himself out of the water that came in the midst of his valley. You know what that says to me? That says to me that with every oppression, there always comes opportunity. And ladies and gentlemen, here's what I want to tell you before we close. Are you in a valley? Are you going through a difficult time? Why don't you just dig a little well and just say, God, would you fill this well? And I'll tell you what will happen. God will refresh you, but better than that, somebody will come along behind you and they'll drink out of the well that you dug when you was in that valley. Amen. Have you ever noticed, Brother Ed, that most of the great hymns that we sing in our churches, if the truth were known, were written out of the brokenness and the heartaches of those who wrote them. Men and women who were in valleys and had no way to get out, but dug a well, and somebody blessed for years to come, drinking out of the well that was dug in that valley. Boy, I thank God for that. When I was a young pastor, I got fired from a church I was pastoring. I know you find that hard to believe. <laughs> Handsome, articulate, gifted, magnanimous preacher like me. They fired me. Well, actually, they didn't fire me. They did what they say in the South. They fired me. 
Brother, Brother Fred, they didn't send me away with a memento. They just sent me away with momentum. Uh, some of you slower folks will catch that here in a minute after service this morning. I cannot tell you if I lived a hundred years, the heartache brought to my heart. That night, Carol and I lay down in a borrowed bed and I listened to Carol as she wept herself to sleep. And she said, honey, what are we going to do? We're seminary students. We don't have any money. We don't have anything. Honey, what can we do? I don't know, Carol. But I tell you one thing. We're not going to quit. And that night in that little bedroom, in my heart, I took a well. I dug a well. God, I'm in a valley. I'm dry and parched. I'm going to dig a well. And for 44 years, I've been drinking out of it. But here's the wonderful part. Some of my friends have drank out of it also. One of my young pastor friends called me the other day. Brother Junior, could I come talk to you? Sat out on the front porch of Brother Fred. Put his hands over his face. And he began to weep. He said, Brother Junior, my church just fired me. And I, I didn't do anything wrong. And I don't know what, why they... Brother Junior, they fired me. But of course, Brother Junior, you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> son, come here. Come here, son. See that well right there? I dug that well when I went through that same valley. Son, take a drink out of my well. Oh, my friend, God may have you in a valley so that you can dig a well for somebody's going to come behind you thirsty, discouraged, and lonely. And they'll say, thank God. Ed Keys. Fred. Fred. What's his name? <laughs> Dug a well. Oh, dear Fred. Dig a well. Dig a well.